and welcome to the Raptor Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network, presented by Coors Light. Go from full time to game time. Coors Light, made to chill. Make sure you find the Raptor Show wherever you listen to podcasts and subscribe, and please rate and review the show. I'm your host, William Liu. I'm joined by co-host Blake Murphy. Big thanks to Blake and Alex for holding it down, but more so to, to Blake, <laughs> honestly, uh, who put up 50 yesterday. What's going on, Blake? How did it feel to be in, in, in this chair? I was going to say the big chair, but we're literally on the same chair on the same level. Yeah, uh, it was a little, I, I likened it yesterday to like having to play left-handed. Uh, it did feel a little okay. like weird being on that side. In addition to, as I mentioned to you earlier, like it's a little messier on that side. Mm. It's a little, it's a little tidier over here. Um, but it was good. I thought it was an okay show. I thought uh, the stuff with Lindsay and Alex was really fun. We had Shams on, obviously, and then a lot of what Samson and I talked about with the limit. Like we were positive about some of the steps the offense has taken this year as it grows little bit by little bit. But there are still some real limitations that better defensive teams are going to be equipped to turn the tap off on them. And a lot of those things came up in a very, very ugly loss to the Nets last night, 115-103, a game that was not a 12-point game. It was like a one-possession game until down the stretch when, uh, yeah, I don't know. Do you want to start there? Like the lack of composure, execution, and even effort to the final buzzer there is a pretty Uh, gross last two, three minutes for a Raptors team. Yeah. When you you say better uh, suited defensive teams, you mean the 20th ranked, uh, uh, Brooklyn Nets who completely shut off what Toronto had. And listen, I, I more meant tactically. Like they yeah, have Claxton yeah. who is big around the rim no, and a was, good shot blocker. But they huge. also like, they have a defensive strategy that is predicated on we will s- sell out to protect the paint with help. Mm-hmm. And if you get all the above the break threes in the world, yep. we'll live with that. The Raptors shot okay last night, but they are not a good enough shooting team to make a team like the Nets or the Budenholzer Bucks, if you remember those teams, yep. those type of teams, the Raptors aren't equipped to beat by just getting crazy hot on top threes. Yeah, it's uh, it's going to happen very rarely. Um, so yeah, let's let's talk about that game last night. Raptors lose, as you mentioned, to the Brooklyn Nets. Um, where do you start with this one? It has. It has I, I want to start with the end. I, I want to okay, know what you ahead, you felt ab- yeah, about the sure. last couple of minutes there, because obviously there were some like. Poor execution things. Maybe Gary yeah, shouldn't have yeah. taken that early clock runner at a weird angle, even though that's a pretty good shot. Like, you can get into some of that. Mm-hmm. But for me, it was more about there were a couple of really bad lapses in transition defense with the game on the line, which, yeah. like, those are inexcusable any point of the game, but, like, especially at that time in the game. And I just thought for a team that has done so well to come back in games when they're down, a team that heading into this one had one of the best clutch net ratings in all of basketball. They had been one of the best teams in the league in those late and close scenarios. Um, I thought it was a different team yesterday. I didn't think they had the composure or the energy. And I I wonder how you felt watching it and then watching it back. It was disappointing. Um, And I'm going to be frank with you. I did not watch this one back because last night left such a bad taste. Good for your mentals. Yeah. Um, To me, it's, it's the fact that, okay, so, you had the double timeout from Darko, which yeah. is his new thing now, right? He did the same thing, I think, in the Cavs game, where the other team calls timeout. The I, I should have done that on Saturday for, for team sport. <laughs> <laughs> it wouldn't have mattered. Uh, but, you know, you come out of that, it was a one-point game. At first, I get to decide who's going to close. So once again, he closes with Yaka Proto off the floor. Now, I get it. Yak was really causing spacing issues. Um, but I also thought Yak played decent. On both sides of the ball, like at least in terms of what Yak could control, I think he did a decent job and, of it. It was an interesting decision because shortly before that, they had gone to hack a clack yep. in sending Claxton to the line. And it was early 
in the game situation to do that. But what they succeeded in was taking Claxton off the floor. Yes. But if you were going to respond to that, the Nets being then five out mm-hmm. by taking Pirtle off the floor, who was having a, a good game, like the net of that seems to be like, I think the Nets were conf- were yeah. fine with that. Yeah. They're comfortable with that. If we'll take Claxton off, Claxton is like our, our best defender. But if you're going to take Pirtle off, yeah. like, okay, we'll live with that. Yeah. In a game where the Nets walk to the rim, um, you take off your rim protector. And I think that the only offense the Raptors got that looked at least somewhat okay in the half court was probably pick and roll. You take that threat off the floor. Um, you close with Gary. Now I get a close. Gary was 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 hot. Um, or I wouldn't even say hot. He had like 15 points, but like you know, relatively in relative terms, he was hot. Yeah, on a night where like they yeah. barely averaged a point per possession, yeah. he could at least find the bottom of the bucket. And then they got some. Semi-open looks down the stretch. I wouldn't say that, like, I, I think the looks were bad, but the Raptors just were missing all sorts of chippies around the basket. And then, as you mentioned, there was a couple of egregious instances of the team not running back. Like, there was one play where the Raptors missed it in the last minute, and the guys just didn't sprint back. You know, and it's like, you could tell the guys on the court were, like, waving their arms, looking up, like, what are we doing? How come we're not back? And it's like, yeah, how come we're not back? Like, we're just going to, it's 18 games into the season where we don't have the energy to run back? Yeah, against the team that, like, okay, throw out the in-season tournament because you don't care about keeping Boston out maybe or whatever. But this is a team that coming into this game was half a game ahead of you in the standings, is in your division. You're Mm -hmm. likely fighting. If you still actually believe you could be a playoff team or a play-in team, you're fighting with them for position. You're going to see them three more times this year. Like, that should have been a game you were up for no matter how you slice it. Yeah, exactly. And I think the bigger picture is you are in in the midst of the stretch where you're going to play a lot of 500-ish teams in your own division, Yeah, right? We're going to see the Knicks later this weekend. Twice uh, in like 11 days, you're going to yeah. see the Knicks. We're going to see, you know, you know, we've already seen Cleveland. We've already seen Brooklyn. Like, these are the teams that you really need to make an impact towards. I mean, the one win that they got in this recent stretch was against the Pacers. That was encouraging. Mm-hmm. That was by one possession. Buddy Hill had an open look, but they won that game. I'm going to give them full credit for yeah. that. But these are the games that you actually measure yourself up against. And I'm sorry, but not only do the Raptors look a little bit too much like the rest of them as like a 500 team but in some of these games they're just completely capitulating and you're seeing repeatedly the same issues that come around pascal's three is just nowhere to be found the bench is just not a positive no matter what precious we're going to devote a whole five minutes to precious yeah we'll get to that we're going to call an iso for precious like precious calls an iso for precious and uh we're going to go into those things but the the ceiling of this group just doesn't look to be anything better than what it is and I think, to me, the most discouraging part last night was they had lots of moments where they became disconnected. Mm-hmm. Selfish play, guys going one-on-one, guys going one-on-four, guys going taking back-to-back shots that were not there for them. Um, and, you know, I, I hate to say it, bad body language as well. So it, it's, it all amounted to a very winnable game that they dropped. Yeah, and it's, a, it's one of those ones, too, where it almost feels like double hurtful that you lost a winnable game because, like you said, so much didn't go well or they didn't do well they shot poorly at the free throw line again they shot okay on threes but given how open the diet of top threes was you probably hope you hit you know 40 percent of those instead of 35 percent of those they shot 11 for 26 at the rim 11 for 26 at the rim yep Yep. and despite all of that it was a two-point game with five minutes to go Mm -hmm. so i think at that point in the game you are probably feeling like it's crazy that we're in this. Like, we could steal sure, this yeah. one. We haven't played well, but we can get away with that. And then to not only not steal it, but 
to give up 21 points in the final five minutes yeah. when you're a team that's supposed to hang its hat on defense. And like, if you're down two with five minutes left and you're this version of the Toronto Raptors, the idea is not to win those last five minutes, 23, 21. Mm-hmm. It's to win those last five minutes, like 11 to nine. Yeah. You win how- by two. You actually would have won that stretch, but um, yeah, to me, I think defensively, um, you know, you needed to see more down the stretch discipline wise. Like how many times did the Raptors bite at a Royce O'Neal pump fake? Yeah, go. that the sidestep three yeah. that he would just hit, or even in the corner, not even a sidestep, just pump and, like, look at you as you fly by. Yeah, what what, what happened? I thought Dennis has done a really good job generally this yeah. year. He Yeah, he's defense. like a he's a tremendous closeout guy. He yeah. had another one at the top, and I don't I don't think that one was Royce O'Neal. Maybe that was a Dinwiddie one, and Dinwiddie, sure. like, pump and then, and then probed and kicked. Um, but I remember he had a really bad one late, and it's actually something that I've, like, wanted to – not on our show, but grab time with them. Because if you remember before when I was like on the beat, um, I would do this annual thing of like where I sit down with a guy and talk about something they're a specialist at. So like Matt Thomas getting open off the ball, Danny Green's transition defense because he was so good at it for yep. so many years. I like this year, I thought the one I want to do is like Dennis Schroeder closeouts. Like let's go deep on closeouts and figure it out. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there were some bad ones yesterday. It wasn't specific to him, but like no, but it was a, it was a pretty team-wide thing. Even OG giving up and ones. Yeah, OG, OG had a curious night. Like he's yeah. he's better than that defensively. And I would have thought against Mikhail Bridges of all people. Yeah. Who sure. like they were compared to each other so much. Yeah. And then Bridges takes this huge leap. Like, I don't believe that all of the reporting about like OG wants a bigger role. OG thinks he can be a, more of a playmaker, et cetera, are as are accurate and certainly not as aggressive as they've been reported. But if he did believe that. Bridges is the example he would point to mm-hmm. and be yeah, like, yeah. this guy got out of Phoenix, got all those touches, and now he's a 24-point-a-game guy who can, like, maybe not be your not your number one on a championship team offensively, but, like, a really, really, like, he can be the number one on this team. Mm-hmm. That's 500, and that's the example. I thought he would have been really up for the Bridges assignment. Yeah, well, I, I you know, it's funny because I actually, when we interviewed OG on media day, um, OG came to sit with me, and one of the questions I had for him, was about this very idea. Um, I, Mikhail Bridges went on the Paul George podcast, and Paul George was asking him, like, because Paul George back in the day was similar, right? Mm-hmm. A guy who was kind of 3 and D and then given a big role, and then I think Danny Granger left the team, and then he really, really made that jump into becoming uh, a star. Um, yeah, year four was the first year right. that he was like a 20-point a game. He was an all-star in year three, but he was like 17-7-4 and four kind of all-star. Yeah, yeah, but he made that jump from being yeah. an elite 3 and D guy to being just an elite player, period. And he was asking Mikhail Bridges, who has made is maybe in the process of making it. I wouldn't say that Mikhail Bridges is on the level of Paul George, but regardless, still kind of the same idea, 3 and D guy making that jump. And he was asking Mikhail Bridges, who do you think in the league can make this jump? And Mikhail Bridges specifically said OG. Hmm. He, and it was like, it wasn't like he was prompted to say OG. It was he identified OG. So I asked OG about the same idea. Whatever, OG wasn't going to tell me everything about like, yes, I believe this and I got to move here and all that kind of stuff. But you know, he he definitely has that confidence in himself. And listen, like, whether that offense makes that jump or not, I'm more skeptical um, in terms of his own self-created offense, especially watching this game and even the Cleveland game where I thought both games he was too disappointing for me on offense. But defensively, what he did against Cleveland was amazing. Like, Donovan Mitchell got so frustrated that he literally took a technical in a close game in the fourth quarter just because OG was all over him. And, and on a play where, like, it was not a foul when and, you watch it back. Yeah, exactly. And you, you look at this game, Mikel Bridges, had 16 points in the paint. The, the Brooklyn Nets last night won the game in the paint. They, mm-hmm. they outscored the Raptors 50 to, I think, 34 in the paint. And who led the Nets in paint scoring? It was Mikel Bridges getting yeah. guarded by OG. He How- only hit one three. 
Yeah. On his way to, what, 22 points? Yeah. Yeah. It was all him getting downhill. And I'm thinking, like, look, OG, out of all things, like, to, to kill the Raptors, I wouldn't expect it for, for your matchup to be killing the Raptors. Mm-hmm. So, I, I guess my overall point is just everyone looked really out of character last night. Yeah, I, th- I know them to be. I think that's a that's a pretty accurate way to sum it up. OG defensively, you know, Pascal had a bit of a stretch where he looked good after he clanked the first couple threes. Mm-hmm. Then he got it going a little bit, but he never got it back in second, the second, second half. I didn't. I don't. I don't remember very many Pascal plays. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, Jakob was was solid, but I don't think like Jakob's ceiling is not win you a game kind of thing, right? Yeah, it's it's yeah. just fill in. Dennis had a. Um, I was very surprised at some of these scores tables decisions uh, with him ending up with nine assists. Uh, I think that was maybe yeah, closer uh, to five in, uh, in what I would classify as an assist, but yeah, like there was, sure. there was one in transition that Jakob got where like he passed it to Siakam. Siakam took three like full stride dribbles and Euroed uh-huh. and Jakob still got the assist. Yeah. Um, there That's was the one where he stole the ball and then pushed the break. Yeah. yeah. I kind of wish Yak took it all the way. Yeah. I um, just want to see what happens. Anyway, that that's to say, like, I know Dennis also, um, he he banged his knee pretty badly. Yes. And he did come in back into the game in the fourth quarter, but he had it heavily wrapped. So he obviously wasn't feeling 100% down the stretch no. either. But you go down the list and, like, Boucher's the only guy, I think, that you would say had a good game by their standards. By their standards, yeah, I would agree. And that's the thing. Boucher is kind of just like, who's who's the Blue Jays where it's like you're in a blowout and you bring in a guy to eat some innings, you know? Yeah, like a mop-up guy. Yeah, he's he's like that. He's like, um, oh, man, I don't want to embarrass my Blue Bowden Jays. Francis? Who is that? Never mind. He you was the guy they would bring in for like three innings. He got a save this year uh-huh. by like they were up by like 10 runs and they're like, just go pitch the rest of the game. Got you. And uh, yeah, so we don't have to use our other relievers. Yeah, I guess my point is like, Chris... Even the start of the season, it was like, okay, Jaden McDaniels is going to play. Jalen McDaniels is going to play. And then McDaniels struggled for a while. Then Chris came into the rotation, did a decent job. Then Chris fell out the rotation because, honestly, wasn't really playing that great sustainably. Uh, Did he have his moments? For sure. Like the Washington game, the comeback, he was great. But then he started fading off a little bit. Yesterday's game, Precious really struggles, and Darko decides to put Chris in. Let's start with the positive, at least. What did you like from Chris's game? And then we'll we'll move on to Precious. I, I just man. thought Chris did Chris things. And I okay. think, like, some of where he struggled this year is uh, more of a, like, fit in those bench units things. Like, okay. like, him and McDaniels and Achua have spent time on the floor together, and they all have similar weaknesses. And I think that those just yeah. compound a little right. bit. Like, I, I don't I think... That. You know, like, obviously, you're not going to build your rotation around what Chris Boucher does well off the bench. But we know he's better in those kind of more chaos-oriented bench units that are running in transition a lot. He has a really good nose for the ball mm-hmm. on, like, scramble plays. Um, certainly a good nose for the rim in transition and early in possessions um, where you probably need a point guard to, to find him uh, or at least guys who are capable transition passers. And I think just, you know, him... I guess McDaniels technically guards the the most wing-oriented of the three players yeah. when they're on the floor. But, like, I don't think that, you know, Chris is best off defensively when he can kind of sag off the weak corner, try to block a shot, do his crazy closeouts that, you know, he's consistently among the league leaders in block threes, even if you miss on them sometimes. And I just think when he has a night where he's not as effective as last night. And I thought last night, most of what made him effective was just the energy stuff. That yeah, he brings. Like, yeah. like running hard in transition, being around the offensive glass for dump offs or for offensive rebounds. He went to the line a couple of times. Oh no, he didn't last night. Um, but he was around the rim a couple of times. Anyway, uh, he did have an offensive rebound. Um, and then, I mean, the threes are kind of just like gravy when he hits them. I you mean, don't expect him to go 45% three. from three. And of course he's only taking two a game. Yeah. 
but and, 45 but is pretty if good. If that's yeah. like 37% by the end of the year, that's I'm, a big win for you because he's, he's yeah. always going to be left open. Um, but I think it's more that the nights that Boucher has looked bad and those bench units have looked bad, it's like, well, okay, Boucher can't really put it on the floor and engage in those DHOs because the handle isn't there and he's not he doesn't really hit the screen hard enough. Mm. But also... Precious has not been very good in those situations. He, well, he, we'll get to Precious. He keeps the ball too much. And like, you know, my joke the other day about 0.5 offense to him means the five is the point. Um, and he's going to run things. And then like McDaniels just like hasn't yeah. found his place yet. So when you're trying to work all of those guys in, it's just a lot of compounding. Like, yeah. hey, you could get right. by with Boucher's limitations if this was lime. You could, get, you could handle Precious if this was going on around him. And I just don't think, you know, throwing more of those guys at the problem is. And it's why I think, you know, when this rotation looks good, probably only two of those three are going to be in the rotation. Um, now, again, mostly what Boucher did was bring energy and knock down the open threes. Yeah. Um, let's do the Precious side of this, though. Precious only played 10 minutes. Yeah. He got yanked in the first half. Yes, because he had three fouls, but also if he didn't have three fouls, I think it was time to get him out of that game. He finishes the game with uh, a single point. He misses all four, field, uh, all four field goal attempts, one of four at the free throw line, some very questionable decisions with the ball, invisible defensively. Um, man, we've seen a lot of good from Precious at times. I would have thought by year four, we're, we're done with this kind of night. I mean, I think this is clearly the worst Precious has played as a Raptor. Yeah, like, but he, I, I'm saying like the floor should not still be this low in year yeah, four. I agree. I agree. The floor should not be this low, but I think you, you, you have to know what parts of your game are going to comprise of that floor, right? I mean, it should, <clears throat> for Precious, it should start with rebounding and mm -hmm. defense. Um, I know it's not the sexiest thing. It's probably not if you went up to Precious and say, "Hey, I got this role for you. I want you to rebound it." And, and basically, have you seen have you seen Bismack Biombo? Like, can, can you know? Can we show you some Bismack Biombo? He would not be happy with that, right? Biz is still getting paid. Hey, Biz He's is still getting paid. Starting center in the league right He's now. He's one of the vice presidents of the union. All right, him and Garrett Temple probably have each other's numbers. Also, he's got to uh, be like the first guy since like they made the Keith Van Horn CBA rule three CBAs ago to get signed in season as like an emergency fill-in and get $5 million instead of the minimum? Yeah, no, I mean, look, listen, I, <laughs> he deserves a lot of that money for doing what he can in, in Memphis. Um, but my point is that you need to know yourself to even have that floor. And when, and when Precious comes into the game, there needs to be some guarantees, just like with every single player that hits the floor, there needs to be some guarantees. Right with Chris, it's a great example of that. I know the guarantee with Chris is he's going to hustle, he is going to run the floor really hard, and you know what? Sometimes he might be a little over aggressive offensively, but at least a he has shown that he can be an effective finisher offensively in the last four or five years, uh, especially with the Raptors. And you know, yeah, he can block a shot here or there. You know, like there there are certain things that are going to be guarantees. You know, Gary's going to come off the bench, and it's not a guarantee he's going to make the shots, but he will take open threes, he will look to attack, and he won't pass the ball. Like, those are guarantees. I don't know what is Precious's guarantee when he comes on the court. And that's why there's no floor. Yeah. I don't, there's not a guarantee that he's going to play defense that night. It's not a guarantee he's going to rebound that night. Which is tough because as I've said on this show before, I'll live with the goof, some of the goofy offensive stuff. Yeah. If he defends at the level he's capable of. Right, right. And like, and he set himself up. He said, I could be a top five defender in his league. He didn't say, not a top five I defender on the be. team right he now. He said, I'm one of the best defending one through five. He didn't even say I could be. He said this like present tense. Yeah. And it's he got back up by Dayron Sharp. How do you get back up by a center? Like, yeah. Dayron Sharp was literally, okay, 
to, to, to take people back to the last night's game, which I know no one really wants to, but it's important in this case. He comes in the game, first possession, he's uh, either switched or guarding Bridges. Bridges drives past him, gets baseline, and he commits the foul. All right, whatever. Bridges was having a, a great game yesterday. He drove past OG, so it's like I, I can't necessarily blame Precious for that. A minute later, the Nets inbound a ball to Dayron Sharp at the top. Dayron gets the ball out, and Precious is literally just looking around, looking around, looking around. Dayron Sharp, uh, the, literally the biggest man on the floor, runs from behind him at the three-point line all the way to the basket for for a cut, and gets and Precious has to commit the foul because he's late. It's like you're you've been in the game for two minutes and you've given you know, and you've got up two fouls, like. The floor yeah. cannot be that low, but it just is. It's to the point where I'm like, I actually, honestly, if I didn't have to cover the Raptors, I would change the channel every time Precious came in the game. I'm sorry, I would not recommend anyone to change the channel from from Sportsnet. Maybe watch a different Sportsnet network. Like, watch some hockey when Precious is in the game. <laughs> no, it's it makes me like I'm 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 so upset when I see him right now, man. I'm sorry. And it's it's tough because like of these bench guys. He has the highest ceiling in that group. So, like, they're going to continue to give him chances. Yeah, I don't but the think, floor is this. I know. And I don't think he's going to fall out of the rotation. And if he does, it would only be for, like, a game or two. Okay. Because, like, the upside with him is, like, this versatile, switchy forward-slash-center hybrid who isn't awesome offensively but does enough. And <laughs> This is every Maasai player. Like, sorry. He, like yeah, Boucher, yeah, sorry. Go ahead. I love Chris Boucher. And I think... I actually think, like, as the Raptors head toward February here, one of the things we'll start to talk about is, like, Chris Boucher with his style of play and the fact that he's even he's better around better players, he's going to be a good bench big for a competitive team if the Raptors yeah. take a look at that. Yeah. Yeah, he sure. is a little miscast in a four-guy four bench units with this team. But even still, the upside is not as high mm-hmm. as Precious. He's not that guy defensively. He, I don't think, has the, like, like pump fake and attack or attack a closeout verve that that precious is has shown flashes of. Yeah, sure, sure. Um, yeah. you know McDaniel's. I don't know. Yeah. I I don't know what to think of McDaniel's. I liked him before he got here. I remember. Yeah. Uh, I don't. I don't really know what's happened here. I just doesn't really. I don't feel like he's been in the mix at all. Like you yeah. don't even see him around the team. I mean, not saying that he's not there. He's obviously there. I just mean like he's not. He's not as talked about. He's not as involved. Yeah. You just don't notice him as much. Yeah. And he then there's Otto, who like obviously doesn't have a crazy seal. He's the floor stabilizer if yeah. you use yeah. him. Um, but they're obviously not going to do that much. So I think Precious is going to continue to get opportunities. And you know, I don't know. If, like if I'm. If I'm in Precious's camp, I know it's not as simple as, like, tell a guy don't have games that bad. Because if it was that easy, like, the Raptors would be 82-0. We'd just go in there every game and sure. be like, hey, everyone, play well. Yeah. Um, they'd, they'd win every game. But, like, you're headed to restricted free agency. This is a huge, huge season for you. And already at some point this year, whether it was because there weren't negotiations or they were far apart on a deal or whatever, you know, the Raptors have implicitly said, Precious, we're not willing to talk about a contract for you that you mm-hmm. think you're worth. Yeah. And so far this season, the Raptors look smart in doing that because I think he's closer to the Zeke Najee end of things than he is the Onyeko Kongwu when yeah. we're talking about bigs who got those rookie scale extensions. That's why I was a little disappointed the Raptors just didn't lock into an extension. But then when we got Grange in here and Grange explained it, it's like Precious was not coming anywhere close to signing a deal like that. So if it's going to be a bet on yourself kind of season, I mean, the season right now, he's at 6.7 points per game, 43% from the field as a center. 43 from the field as a center. Uh, 23% from three. Um, he's not really hitting his free throws at 52. I guess that's a team-wide problem. But last year, at least it was encouraging for him. He was over 70% last year. He's down to 52. 
he's not really rebounding the ball. Yeah, the assists are up because the system is different, but I wouldn't really necessarily say his decision-making is better. And so, look, this is the third year he's been in Toronto system. We've seen some good moments from Precious. I still think back to March and April of 2022 for Precious. That feels like a fever dream now. Yeah. He was coming down the floor and pulling up for three in Joel Embiid's eye. That was when I really bought into Precious as a prospect. I know last year was up and down, but I'm willing to excuse a lot of what happened last year. It's just under a new coach, under a new system, whether it's because he's been in and out of injuries, whatever. But, I mean, look, Darko benched him yesterday essentially twice. Yep. He even gave him that grace to play a second opportunity in this game. That's what player development looks like. But that's the fewest you gotta give something back to the coach, man. That's he the literally fewest did nothing he's good. played in a game this season. Yeah. Well, like, that's mean, the shortest hook. If we were talking about this, if you didn't play the ten minutes last night and you just replaced those with just Otto or just Chris, I think the Raptors win the game. And it, I probably wouldn't feel the most ecstatic about it. Yeah. I'd probably come in here questioning why we're not developing Precious, but. It's been so disappointing. Like it really has been so disappointing to watch him. Yeah, it's been uh, it's been unfortunate. They lost those minutes. Although there was just weird rotation stuff. I know we only sure. had a couple minutes before no, we get ahead, to the ahead, next segment, ahead. but um, I think it is worth noting that some of the rotation stuff you and I kicked around on Monday um, and over the course of the season so far, um, Darko did change it up yesterday. He made there was not a single instance where four bench players were on the floor together. Um, Jakob and Dennis saw minutes with three bench players yes uh so that scotty didn't get hung out in a scotty plus four um there was another tweak where in the second half og was the first sub out not scotty just to get a little bit of a different look see those four starters with gary in and scotty also on the floor um obviously we're not going to draw any conclusions from small samples of those but in a game that they lost by 12 points they had the one really bad bench shift and then once again the starters got outscored as a five-man unit they yeah. are barely above even on the season now mm-hmm. as a starting unit which can't really happen either um but yeah i thought it was notable that they at least that they tried some different stuff some of the weaknesses that have been a little more glaring in those transitional units right. they at least tried to address it and they were rewarded for that by almost everyone playing poorly <laughs> look listen i i appreciate that and i've been thinking more about the okay we want to get og and scotty together for the second unit yeah. part of the thing is Darko's probably also thinking, well, I want OG on the floor as long as the opposing wing is on the floor. So I can't just take OG out willy-nilly right. and just match up his minutes. So I think what that really speaks to overall is just a talent issue. The mm-hmm. fact that you have no substitutes who can come in and even do half of what OG does. Well, and, and you and have the no person... bench guy that comes in and says, like, I want to hit threes like OG. I have no bench guy that's coming in. I'm going to play defense like OG then what is your bench there for? Right. The threes would be Gary Trent, but you're not trusting him on anyone defensively. The defense would theoretically be McDaniels, but he's not a... Sh- well, yeah. he hit, hit his three yesterday, but like historically, yeah. he's not much of a shooter and he just like hasn't found his groove yet. And then if you were going to be like, well, just change your substitution patterns so someone else is on the floor when OG hits a bench, the guy you would pick next up for the defensive purpose is Scotty, mm-hmm. who you're also trying to get in with those heavier bench units right. because my, my guess is like those Dennis, Yak, and three bench guys units... They'll survive because the Dennis Yock pick and roll is like, own like thing. that's yeah. enough yes, for a bench unit, yeah. right? Like you can orbit around that. I don't know that they'll be as strong defensively as the like Scotty and, and OG and bench units are or whatever, but I think it's worth seeing more of. It's like, sure, like yeah. we know what the Scotty and four bench guys looks like now. You can go back to that. You'll want to continue to get Scotty some reps in that, but let's see what a different rotation pattern looks like. Let's see if you can optimize that Pascal, Scotty, OG trio Mm -hmm. a little bit more by not always having them with two non-spacers on the floor. See it a little bit and then see if you can get something out of Dennis, Jakob, and the bench um, just to see if different combinations work because we know, you know, we have 17 games before last night of data saying the, hey, this is 
sinking Scotty, asking him to carry these four guys at a time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, last thing we had two minutes left, but uh, what did you make of Scotty yesterday? I just felt like he wasn't like very engaged in the first half. And I know this always becomes a big discussion, but I think anyone who saw the first two weeks of the season when he really started great, my thing that I kept going back to was I love the threes. I love the jumpers. I love how, you know, he's blocking shots and stealing the ball all the time. But my biggest thing was I loved how engaged he was. Like It was a force. It was a presence. You saw him everywhere. He was driving the team forward. And the start of the game yesterday, the first half, to me, it was just like, Wow, I did not recognize that, Scotty. No, he uh, he only had two attempts in the paint in the entire first half, and both of them were plays. They got classified as blocks, but they're like those Fred Van Vliet blocks where you're going up, and we don't even know if it's a shot or you're going to try to make a jump pass or whatever, but you get stripped on the way up. Those were his only two paint attempts in the first half. So I thought this was definitely true in the first half. The second half, by the time he kind of kicked it into that gear, I wonder if he was just like a little snake bitten on the night. Like he shot two of seven at the rim in the second half. Okay. That's like, like that's not going to happen. He's too good a finisher and he's too strong. A couple of those just rimmed out. So I thought the process was at least a little bit better. Second half was better Um, for sure. But, and and, you know, he wasn't, he was guilty in the first half of getting back cut a couple of times or being up too high at the, at the level of ball handler when the guy that we thought was going to screen has already broke to the net, but he wasn't the the culprit on those breakdowns late in the game. I I don't think. No, he wasn't. Um, So I, I thought he, you know, he found it a little bit more in the second half process-wise. It just, on a night year two of nine at the rim, I just, I don't really know what to do with that other than, like, it was probably an unlucky night because, like, more often than not, he's going to go six for nine on that diet of shots. Yeah. Um, it's it's interesting because it's almost like, it's it's similar to last year again where it's like there's almost two versions of Scotty. There's, like, small ball five Scotty with the mm-hmm. second unit. Um, and I think you can run more of those when you have more shooters like OG paired with them. Yeah. Like we saw yesterday. Uh, and then in the starting lineup, I just, I don't really know. He's starting to feel like he's not really as featured in the starting lineup again as well. I mean, the usage rate would back that up. His yeah. usage rate does spike as you'd expect when, you know, Pascal or Dennis are sure. not on the yeah. floor. And that's true for Pascal and Dennis as well. When the other, yeah. like, obviously, if there are three of them who are like 22 to 25% usage guys, mm-hmm. when you're sharing the floor together, that's going to come down a little bit. But I think they could make a, cons- a more concerted effort to feature him yeah. early on um especially because like i don't know when he's going it's just like it really he really does feel like such a tough challenge for a defense because he has the shot now he can be physical going to the rim he's a good passer like like the the fully on version of scotty we've seen glimpses of this mm-hmm. year is like a really interesting problem for defenses and if you can get that going a, a little bit earlier yeah um because it's been a lot of like fourth quarter takeovers for, well, for Scotty when, yeah. when he does find that. For sure. Um, okay, yeah, tough game last night, but uh, we are fortunate that we can talk about other subjects. So uh, we will change the subject just a little bit uh, after we take this break. So I've been your host, Willow. You've been listening to The Raptor Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Diving deep into Leafs, Raptors, Jays, and NFL, the J.D. Bunkus Podcast. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to the Raptors show on the Sports Night Radio Network. I'm your host, Wim Lou. As promised, a change in subject because I don't want to talk Raptors this anymore. You need that. <laughs> you just got 30 minutes and you got the react pod from yesterday. Uh, for this segment, we are joined by Clement Chu and Dennis Chang in studio. So uh, the Chinese-Canadian uh, Youth Athletic Association, CCYA, has partnered with Sports Nostalgia Company 
uh, Mitchell and Ness for the fourth year in a row to design the limited edition apparel that celebrates the North American Asian diaspora and its love for the NBA. The collaborations are also supportive of the community with proceeds donated to various nonprofit groups for the upcoming holiday season. The CCYAA will release a limited edition Bruce Lee Toronto Raptors capsule collection to celebrate Bruce Lee's global impact for the Asian community. Proceeds will be donated to the Bruce Lee Foundation and CCYAA. I'm wearing the shirt for people who are, um, I guess, listening on the podcast. It is, you know, uh, the Raptor shirt. It's got the Raptor claw. It's got the nunchucks. It's awesome. And I've had this, uh, I think you handed it off to us like last week. And you said it's it's an embargo, so I yeah. can't I can't wear this <laughs> every single day. I've just kept it at the office of like I I want to make sure that when the day comes, I'm able to to wear it. So yeah, joining us to talk about this project are Clement Chu and Dennis Chang. Clem, we've we've had you on the show like a few times already, so people know you're Mister CCYA. Dennis, uh, tell us about your role and your 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 involvement here. Yeah, so um, uh, I am the managing partner of the Bruce Lee Family Companies and a board member of the Bruce Lee Foundation. And uh, Clem and I met, what was it, like a, is that like a, a year ago? Yeah. yeah, almost a year ago uh, at, a, at a basketball game. Of course. When I, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but we were in the suite, and uh, we were just telling this story, like, on the way in here. But uh, he tore his Achilles, and we bonded over that because we both tore our Achilles <laughs> oh, playing hoops. Wow. Yeah. And uh, he was there with Simu, and I was there yeah. with Shannon, and we just started talking about uh, the community work that, that he's done here in Toronto, and kind of we kicked off that conversation uh, and decided to collaborate on this initiative, which we're really excited about. Got you, got yeah. you. Did you also get Clem's fancy doctors to rescue his Achilles? <laughs> no, I guess I guess I didn't. You know, <laughs> no, well, I told mine years ten ago. years ago. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, I was trying you. to give him all the advice about the recovery. Appreciate <laughs> it. Appreciate yeah, exactly. it. No, Clem's a Clem's a pure hooper. It would be a shame if we, we don't see you back on the court, buddy. So, Maybe we'll see what happens. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we will see. Okay, okay, uh, okay. Tell me about the project. Where did the idea of the project come about? And uh, why partner with the Raptors specifically? Yeah, so I'll, I'll take this. But we we had a conversation, and and they told us a little bit what what uh, you know the Bruce Lee Foundation does. And one of the the cool mantras about uh, Bruce Lee as an entity is the fact that he wanted to teach people from outside the Asian community martial arts. You know, and a lot of people are like, why would you do that? And he was like, this is an opportunity for me to bridge the gap uh, between cultures for them to learn and embrace the things that we do. And similarly with CCY, like today I'm wearing this Boba Raptor sweatshirt. Mm-hmm. The really neat thing about it is that when we look at the sales data, like 25% of the people buying it, non-Asian last names. For us, that's a win because mm-hmm. we look at it as people who are not from our community are embracing elements of our culture. Right. And then when we talk to the Bruce Lee Foundation, we're just like, this makes so much sense. We are working on all of this sort of content for Mitchell and S, for the Raptors. Let's talk about how this can work because... Dennis can get into it, but Bruce Lee's had such a long legacy with basketball, specifically, you know, Kareem, Steph, and Kobe. But you, you can tell them a little bit about that. But that's that was the genesis of the thought process. Okay. Actually, you know what? Take us through that legacy because, you, know, um, you know, a young head like me, I, I, I might have missed out on a lot of the, the Bruce Lee generation and era, and so I'm catching up on it. Um, yeah. Obviously, I've seen, the you know, what he's done with Kareem, obviously, in the movie. But, like, yeah, just, just talk us about and Bruce Lee. Yeah, it's weird. Um, you know, Bruce wanted to teach more. Yes. I think that was the inspiration behind Kareem's character. No? Yeah. Well, and, and so I think it's it's and he got a lot of um, a lot of flack for um, sort of breaking barriers. But and not only he was well, an innovator from a martial arts perspective, but he really believed in this one family concept, which we'll kind of come back to. But 
um, this authentic relationship with a number of different communities really, really was born. And uh, Kareem was a very close friend of his and a student. Uh, so he trained Kareem and obviously uh, uh, cast him in, in the famous uh, film Game of Death. Um, and sort of that, that, that community relationship within the urban community has just sort of continued to live on. You know, we just celebrated the 50th anniversary of his passing. It's kind of crazy to think that um, he left this world too early 50 years ago and the legacy lives on. And I would arguably say that it's stronger than it's ever been. Um, but, you know, specifically to talk about Kobe, you know, for him, uh, he's always been a big supporter, always showed up for us and, uh, you know, uh, showed up for a number of different documentaries to talk about um, how Bruce inspired him, his training and really his philosophy. You know, I think there are a lot of fans out there that uh, are introduced to him through either martial arts um, or the movies. Um, but we really believe and can see that it's the depth of his life philosophy that really has inspired millions and millions upon people across all different types of sectors and walks of life. Um, but yeah, it's kind of uh, an amazing, beautiful, authentic relationship. And it's very player driven. You know, we get outreach through social media, you know, from a number of different players, specifically with the NBA and other leagues too, about how Bruce has you know, inspired them, changed their life, you know, from a life philosophy perspective, as well as training the mind and the body. Um, and that's something, you know, on behalf of the family that we continue to lean into mm -hmm. um, to help influence future generations to come. Yeah. Um, you mentioned Steph too. What's, what's the connection to Steph Curry and sort of what are the collaborations that? Have <clears> yeah, it was pretty there? awesome. Like uh, I, I was introduced uh, to Steph's team, shout out to Stoney, uh, through a mutual friend. Okay. And we just started talking about, you know, how could we um, kind of kick off a collaboration? You know, we're, we're big fans of Steph. And um, the first opportunity kind of organically came about where uh, in preparation for the launch of Curry Brand, you know, creatively they wanted to pay homage to, you know, game changers that kind of came before Steph. Mm -hmm. And so they came out with this creative concept you know, around the, the spot and then changing the game for good. And he really wanted to highlight Bruce and his impact um, and how that influenced him and his and, and himself. Mm -hmm. um, so that was pretty exciting. A couple of years ago, we launched that spot. And then, you know, I was telling some of the guys as we were walking in, you know, there was the Atlanta shootings at the spas and Steph's team reached out to us and Steph wanted to make like a gesture for his next game uh, playing Atlanta. And they came up with this idea, which we loved, which essentially was to um, have an image of Bruce and his family uh, um, designed and painted onto his game shoes uh, that had Bruce's famous quote, you know, under, you know, one family, essentially under the stars were all one family. And um, he wore those in, in the game and then we auctioned them off and all the proceeds went to all the families. And it was really important um, from, from Shannon's perspective that, all of the families equally who are impacted by the tragedy, you know, um, shared in the proceeds for that auction. Um, and that's kind of, you know, the next step of the evolution of our, our partnership with Steph and Curry Brand. And, you know, we just launched on Bruce's birthday uh, on the 27th, uh, the first of a few different drops with Steph and Curry Brand, which we're super excited about. And it's awesome. Um, you know, Clement, I, I want to ask you and take the conversation here because, you know, you've been around the Raptors since day one. 
you know, uh, I've, I've read prehistoric. Uh, <laughs> but no, I mean, you, you've been around the Raptors since day one. And I think one thing that stuck out to me with the Raptors is there is not just the basketball portion, but there is the cultural, there is the community outreach portion of the Raptors, something you've been really, you know, involved in over the years. Um, can you explain to us, like, what that urge is? Um, who who pushes that drive forward and sort of like how can sort of the Raptors sort of push these connections and, and sort of unite people in this cultural way under basketball? Yeah, I mean, they started originally because that was the market segment they were going after. You know, hockey audiences set. Mm-hmm. Who do you go after for new audiences? You go after um, new Canadians and you go after youth. And we're yep. like, hey, that's us. You know, so yeah. we started working with them on a very grassroots level in the early stages, but kind of where we've evolved to now where basketball is just so popular across all of these different cultural groups is that um, it's the community that's really driving sort of this representation right now. And that's why you see that uh, the Raptors are always sort of front runners when it comes to community diversity and, you know, they're doing a lot of stuff with NAV, they're doing a lot of stuff with a lot of different uh, communities. But uh, one of these opportunities came out is that Mitch and us is like, you can help to create, you know, some of these ideas that represent your community. And I think the first one that we got to do was uh, we did a, a Chinese hoodie that was dedicated to Damon Stoudemire because he was like our day one uh, draft pick. And uh, it was super successful. And it was crazy because even people like Damon himself, you know, got one and was representing for us. Samuel L. Jackson via our friend Elaine Kwan hey, uh, was representing one for us. And so we just kind of took it to the next level with with Boba Raptor. And that mm-hmm. just really hit it off. And And so for this opportunity, again, we just saw that natural synergy that, that Dennis was talking about in terms of Bruce Lee and uh, just really excited to be able to bring the brand, uh, the brands together because it beyond the meaning, mm-hmm. it's just cool. Like the most coveted sneaker, like you were saying, it's the Kobe Grinches and the Kobe Bruce Lee's like mm-hmm. Caitlin yeah. Clark's wearing them in the championship game of the NCAA women's game. And, you know, every player is, is wearing the stuff and repping for this stuff. So we just said, that this is a, a great opportunity for us to work with Dennis's team and, and Shannon as well. And we're just really excited about that. Yeah. No, again, like it, it's, it's incredibly exciting that you can go and purchase a shirt that says Raptors with a Bruce Lee collaboration on it, man. Like it's just a, it's a dope shirt, but it's also going towards a great cause as you guys talked about. Um, okay. So I, I actually wanted to, to get into bigger discussion about Bruce Lee. Cause I, as I mentioned earlier, you know, I feel like I missed a boat just a little bit. Um, you know, like, you know, if, if to make a basketball analogy, Bruce is like, uh, it's like an MJ kind of scenario, you know, you, Jordan, yeah. you know, and, and I've MJ, always, oh yeah, we're, we're, yeah, MJ guys. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. There you go. So <laughs> I'm more like the Jackie Chan is my, my Kobe, you know, right. like he, he like copied a lot of the ideas, Not quite the you know, same thing. Yeah. incorporated, yeah, yeah. you know, some of the things, but you know, very much like a, you know, a, also very great in his own right. Obviously I respect him a lot. Uh, but so I, I need you guys to sort of explain to me, like, why is there such a long-lasting cultural legacy around Bruce Lee that still endures to this day? How much time do we have? <laughs> we, we actually have seven minutes, so that's actually, uh, I think, not, not bad. Yeah, it's, it's interesting, you know, because I think, um, trying to see how deep I go with this conversation, but, uh, you know, he, he, wasn't, he was an amazing person, you know, okay. I think... Um, it's kind of like in many ways, whether it's from film or martial arts or on a deeper level, you know, philosophy, he, he was an innovator. Mm-hmm. 
And, um, and I think uh, for Asian Americans as well, you know, in terms of that representation discussion, you know, he was not only a hero to, you know, Asians, but mm-hmm. like to lots of different cultures in terms of just seeing someone do the things that he did on screen, you know, it was like almost superhuman. Yeah. And that legacy just continued to live on and on and on. Um, but it's like I mentioned before, you know, <clears throat> whether it's from a martial arts perspective and um, creating Ji Kune Do, which is his own martial art, and being sort of an innovator and, and sort of encompassing all different styles um, to kind of create a new one. Um, you know, there are people who practice martial arts, you know, every day or begin to practice martial arts that are introduced to him every day. So the legacy also continues to live on from that perspective. But as I mentioned before, you know, what, what I think um, has elevated his relevance um, uh, to date, you know, and in, in, in the future is really the, the, the philosophy, the life philosophy. You know, he really was um, an innovator and inspires so many people just through just the, the, the mind, really. You know, Shannon always loves to say is that her father trained his mind just as much if not more than he trained his body and when people see the image of bruce lee who left us too early it's just this you know image of just strength power speed like you know just intensity and um but really it's the it's the sort of depth in in the mind that really i think inspires so many people today um which is really kind of from a foundation perspective which is our nonprofit, the bruce lee foundation you know, how we're trying to really give back and help like the underserved youth in a variety of different communities. And it is through our, 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 our youth programming, which really uses Bruce's mind, body, and, and spirit uh, philosophy and programming to help youth address mental health issues. And so that's really something that we're passionate about. That's um, beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. And the way I kind of look at it beyond that is that to take it to its most simplistic and base level, is that me growing up, when I looked at who was in Western mainstream media and mm-hmm. their portrayals as Asian males, not something I necessarily aspired to, but Bruce was the only one that I would see on TV. I was like, wow, that's pretty cool, mm-hmm. right? And I think that that kind of trailblazing is something that is important for at least for the CCYA and not just for men, not just for women, but you know that sort of cross-the-board representation of having these positive portrayals positive role modeling. We see how important that stuff is. And that's why it's so important that we work with people like Jeremy Lin and, and Simu Liu and, and stuff like that, because I think that that really helped to shape the self-confidence of young people who see someone that look like them mm-hmm. being portrayed in this positive light. And that wasn't something that was seen back then. Yeah. And I think that that's such a strong thing for our community. Yeah. I mean, I, that's, especially I think from, from that time, uh, representation was so limited. I think even something like right now, like we're in a we're in a more progressive place, but also I think, you know, I think a lot of people have made that kind of change possible. Like even look at us right now. Like, you know, this is not something you would have seen uh, unless you, I guess you turn on Omni News. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, I was going to try to pivot into a conversation about the mythical nature of, of Bruce Lee because I feel like there's such a, there's so much, as you mentioned with the mind, mm. part of that is our <clears throat> appreciation of him as a figure is like appreciating 
the myth almost and sort of like imagining sort of who he would be in this kind of context. Right. And, you know, if that's even possible with, with celebrities nowadays or anybody nowadays, because we know every detail of everyone's life. Like mm. in preparation to this interview, I was reading about Bruce and I was delighted to hear that he grew up uh, like taking dance lessons and how right. that sort of shaped. Cha-cha champion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was like, <clears throat> wow, that little bit of detail, like, Nowadays, we would have just seen it on, like, pop-based or something. <laughs> you would have just seen every little detail. Or, like, even I didn't know about his, like, you know, coming from mixed heritage. And, and I looked yep. more into that. And it, it kind of spoke to, like, the, the colonial history of Hong Kong. And it was, like, so fascinating. But uh, we don't have the time for that because well, two things. Number one, Alex is putting the rundown. Uh, when can me and Alex play in the CCYA Celebrity <laughs> Classic? He had this in bold and in highlighter. So, Clem, just give us a quick yes, and we can move on to the second line. Is this something yeah. you try out for? Is well, the, the, e <laughs> the easiest part that, uh, that I've agreed is that I always shift this question to Jeremy and Simu. So oh, you guys can definitely, okay. you can definitely chat to them about yeah. it. Yeah, it's not going to happen then. <laughs> uh, and then the next one is just, uh, yeah, so the note in here is that the merch is actually sold out right now on the Real Sports website. So you can actually get the Raptors-Bruce Lee collaboration on ccyaa.org. And, of course, the proceeds will go to both the charities of CCYA and also the Bruce Lee Foundation. So this is a dope conversation. I, I wish we had a little bit more time, maybe in a different context. We can talk about those higher level things, but yeah, I want to say appreciate both of you. And um, yeah, sorry I missed the event last night. I had to watch Raptors Nets. Uh, <laughs> just kidding. Love watching Raptors Nets. Okay, yeah. we're going to take a break. Been your host, Willow. You've been listening to The Raptors Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Top stories in the NHL every day. The Jeff Mary Show. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to the Raptor Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. I'm your host, William Liu. And, you know, we are going to pivot away from the Raptors once again because Raptors Nets was such a disappointing game. And uh, we're going to talk uh, about the rest of the NBA. So this NBA Insider is presented by Coors Light. Go from full-time to game-time Coors Light, made to chill. We're going to bring in Mark Stein, who I understand is it's, it's a flu game for Mark Stein. What's going on? Flu game, Mark Stein. Yeah, I need to apologize in advance. There will be coughing. Hopefully that is all you guys hear. It hasn't been a pretty few days at the Stein Line HQ, but... I had a feeling that after last night's news uh -huh. in Dallas that you guys would probably still want to keep this date. So I figured, you know what, I better, I better just suck it up and hope. Like I said, hopefully it won't be, uh, it won't be, dis won't be disastrous. Well, listen, Mark, we we appreciate you, but um, I feel like the Mavericks don't appreciate. I feel like Mark Cuban doesn't appreciate you enough. I mean, he could have waited until you got better to to, to move <laughs> off his majority share of the team. So the news that people didn't see it uh, come down yesterday, big news, but Mark Cuban, who's obviously been one of the NBA's most vocal, most like, prominent, most active, most featured uh, team owners, is uh, actually moving off of his majority share of the Mavericks, selling it to the Adelson family uh, at a $3.5 billion valuation. He is still going to retain uh, basketball operations control. Unbelievable move, by the way, to, to yeah? sell the majority stake. But like, hey, I'm still in charge. Oh, yeah. No, oh, he gets to do all the fun stuff without having to fund it itself. But uh, obviously, Mark, you are uh, as plugged into the Mavericks as just about anybody. Um, tell us about why he's doing this and sort of any details of the sale that you have right now. 
Well, you guys just said it. If the deal is as described and as it's been described that, yes, he will sell a majority share but retain operational control over the basketball endeavors of the Mavericks, then, you know, then you can understand it because he's going to make a substantial amount in the billions, you know, the purchase price of the Mavericks. I was a Mavericks beat writer, much younger and much skinnier when Cuban bought the team January 4th, 2000, the purchase price was 285 million. So, uh, you know, again, this yeah. deal still needs league approval, but it's, uh, you know, a billion, you know, an infusion of cash in the billions for Mark Cuban. And if, again, if the deal is as described and he gets to retain the ability to basically operate the team as he has. And, and everything I've heard to this point is that that's the way this deal will be done. Then, I mean, it is a tremendous, it's a tremendous deal for him because I think at this point in his life, he turned 65 in July. I reported on a piece on my Substack earlier this afternoon that, you know, in, in recent years, he, he really has only wanted to be part of the basketball side of things. Cynthia Marshall, the Mavericks CEO, she she completely runs the business side at this point. So, I mean, that's something he's already stepped away from. And, you know, he's been very vocal. You know, his dream scenario is to build a new arena that's embedded in a casino resort. Now, a couple key factors you need to know there. The Mavs lease at their current arena downtown at the American Airlines Center doesn't even expire until 2031. And there's also the small matter of gambling is not legal currently <laughs> in the state of Texas. Uh, so those are legitimate obstacles. But <coughs> here's the first cough. Apologies for that. Um, he, Cuban has been very vocal that this is, you know, his dream is building, you know, getting a new building built with, you know, in, you know, in, in conjunction with a casino. And, you know, in December, he told the Dallas Morning News, he told my longtime colleague, Brad Townsend, he specifically said he wants to do that with, the Las Vegas Sands Corporation. So we kind of got a preview of this without realizing it when Cuban revealed that last December. But look, saying everything I've said, and I'm sure you guys feel the same way in faraway Toronto, like Cuban has been so tied to the Mavericks that you never imagined that he would ever sell 1%. <laughs> like he just, you know, he, he, he has treated this franchise, you know, like family and sometimes like more than family and that nothing is more important in life than your Mavs fandom. So the thought of him not being in charge and not having majority control of the team, it's really hard to process that. Yeah, and it's, I mean, it's a, it seems like a good deal from the outside. You, you mentioned the purchase price versus the valuation now. It works out to about 11 or 12% annual rate of return. Don't think he was making that when he invested in Avion Tequila with Turtle and uh, the other Entourage guys. Um, he had a run on Entourage. Where he was, uh, he was an investor in their stuff. Probably not a 11% annual rate of return. Um, you, you mentioned, you know, you, you used to be a Mavericks beat writer, uh, Mark. And, and I'm curious, you know, this is not, this is a, a chapter in the Mark Cuban and Dallas Mavericks story, not the end. So I, I don't mean this in a like, 
look back at the end kind of way. But over the years, how has Mark Cuban been to deal with? He, he's obviously this kind of outsized figure around the NBA. He's probably the most recognizable and, and prominent owner in terms of in the media and things like that. Um, from your standpoint, first as a beat reporter and then at the national level, what is it like to cover and deal with a personality that is that large in addition to being incredibly wealthy? Well, when I was the beat writer way back when this all started, it was completely groundbreaking. He was the Charles Barkley of owners. There had never been an owner like him. And as the Mavericks beat writer, my beat basically became the Mark Cuban beat. And you have to realize that the team that had Dirk Nowitzki, Michael Finley, and a Canadian I know this show is fond of named Steve Nash, who in Cuban's first full season, they won 50 games. They hadn't been to the playoffs for a decade. And then they went on a string. I mean, this was a good team, a very good team, but Cuban just was so boisterous. He got in trouble so often at the beginning. Every time that I ever saw David Stern, I would have to, what we like to call in the business, a sidle, you know, <laughs> sidle him. It's a Seinfeld term, you know, to, from if Seinfeld fans who watched, you know, the Seidler episode to try to get near Stern away from the press pack after he got off the podium to try to ask him, because I didn't want to ask in front of the whole masses because then everybody's got the same quote. But Cuban was in trouble in those days. Every, t- every time I saw David Stern, I had to ask him, for some sort of Cuban comment because he was just so, you know, he was so outspoken and so determined to, you know, do it his way and not just accept the norms of NBA ownership that were just, you know, there before him and, you know, that everybody was expected to follow. And, you know, he, you know, so in those days it was completely different, but in the grand scheme of things, you know, obviously, you know, there's been times that, uh, you know, I was not his favorite reporter. There's been times we've, we've been at odds, but I mean, he is the most accessible owner I have ever seen. And, you know, from a media perspective, I mean, how can you not, you know, that's obviously what you want, that you want someone who will, who, you know, someone who will always take your questions. Mm -hmm. I mean, you can't really ask for much more than that. And so obviously there's been, a lot of ups and downs, controversies, all kinds of things. But, you know, in my experience covering the league, he's been as accessible an owner as there is. And I know that there are, you know, there are some teams around the league that the fans never get to hear from the owner and feel like the owner is completely detached and unreachable. And so, you know, I'm guessing for fans, it's, you know, it's probably better this way, but you know, there's obviously you know, there's obviously been times that the fans in Dallas have not been happy with him. And let's face it, I mean, the Mavericks. It's been this is what 12, 12 years since the championship. So, yeah. you know, it, but I mean, it, the guy loves this team just to a ridiculous degree, and that's why again, this is this is stunning, and we need to learn more about the deal to proper, properly analyze it. But I mean, this you know. The thought of him not, that, that's the thing. It's like, you know, it's, it's hard to imagine him like if he wasn't there. So, you know, everything we're told, the Adelsons put out a statement today that this is a partnership with Mark Cuban. So, uh-huh. you know, let's see how it plays out.
Yeah, that's a, a billion dollar partnership. It, it does sound kind of nice. No, I, I think you're absolutely right because, you know, um, wh- whether you want a, a, an owner to, to go on first take and like, you know, this get Bayless or if you like necessarily want uh, Mark Cuban to put out, I believe it was an audit of the 2006 playoffs. Of oh, the, the officiating of, of the one? Because <laughs> Dwayne Wade shot too many free throws or whatever. Um, you know, whether you want some of these things, I mean, like, I think the passion that he brought towards that project, it was genuine. It's something that obviously he's going to keep going with it with the Mavericks. He's still going to be in control. But, like, you know, that is something where it's like, okay, if you could pick some kind of ideal person to run your franchise, you would ideally want them to be as invested. I think it's something something a little bit similar to Steve Ballmer now uh, with, with the Clippers, to, although I guess Steve isn't doing as much media. Uh, as, as Mark does. But um, I guess the speculation is that, um, you know, I mean, I don't know. People are speculating a presidential run. Like, <laughs> you need $2 billion so, dollars you, for that. Do you know anything about this? Is, is that what's happening here? Or? I, I, please tell me my beloved Raptor show with the most beautiful set in NBA radio in the beautiful city of Toronto. Please tell me you guys aren't believing that. Please tell me. <laughs> Good, good, good. You know, as you know, you have to ask the question as the media. That's that's all. You just have to ask the no. question. And I'll, I'll tell you, I, my theory on this is, and again, hold on a second. Apologies. Um, my theory on this is, you know, it, it's been painted in a lot of circles like, Monday, Cuban announces he's off Shark Tank. Tuesday, mm-hmm. sells team. Wednesday, he's going to – I mean, no, no, no. Yeah, yeah. He, he actually announced the Shark Tank thing before Thanksgiving. He said it on All the Smoke with Matt Barnes and Steven Jackson, two days before Thanksgiving. And I don't know why. It just didn't get any traction until Monday. Mm. And then, obviously, Tuesday, the, you know, the, the sales stuff emerges, and it – and it looks like this coordinated, you know, connected thing. And it's just, it's just not, but no, uh, he's not running for president. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's, uh, I guess that's good to know. Blake, you want to ask about the in-season tournament? <laughs> yeah, we can pivot off of that. Uh, I suppose the Mavericks are not going to the in-season tournament quarterfinals as much as well, uh, I, I, hope I'm, I mean, I have to, I have to confess before you guys go, like, I saw nothing last night. In oh, the that's okay. I'm, I'm not going to ask you, you know, Rockets ATO questions so here. So, yeah, so. Uh, mostly broad I want to know. IS- Sorry, go ahead, Mark. No, I was just going to say, broad ISP questions, I will do my best. But specifics mm-hmm. from last night, I I did not see a dribble given all the sale <laughs> chaos going on. No, um, I mean, mostly my my curiosity in terms of your take and what you're hearing from people around the league. And we set this up when you came on the show as well, what the league was expecting, what their goals were. It comes down to last night, five Eastern Conference games start at the exact same time and four of them are relevant, not just to the outcome, but point differential. We saw point differential be a big thing in, in the, West, the West Coast games as well. So now we have it. We have the field set. We, ha- we have an idea of what it's going to look like next week. Um, in Vegas on neutral site. I guess, one, do you think it's been a success so far? I personally feel like it has been. Yesterday was a lot of fun. Maybe you feel differently. Um, And then also, do you have a thought on point differential as a tiebreaker? Because it does seem that small element seems to have rubbed some players and teams the wrong way. We may have lost them. Well, we're going to work to try to get Mark back on the the line. But uh, if not, that was our NBA Insider presented by Coors Light. Go for full-time to game-time. Coors Light made to chill. Uh, yeah, difficult scenario for 
for Mark Stein. I appreciate him for calling in. Yeah, and yeah, and if we can't reconnect to it, we got 13 minutes out of him on a on a flu game day. I, I think yeah. uh, he he gave us plenty. Um, for anyone who doesn't know, by the way, the in season tournament field is set. We know what that is going to look like next week. It will be the Knicks at the Bucks, the Celtics at the Pacers. The biggest loss of last night, the Raptors incapable of knocking the Celtics out of the in-season tournament. Uh, the Suns at the Lakers, the yeah. Pelicans at the Kings. So not a ton of surprise here. The eight teams involved are eight teams that have their eyes on at least the playoffs. Yeah. Uh, maybe yeah, sure. the tippy-top contenders aren't all there, but these are the, no bad team snuck through. Yes. I think the team that's probably that. most excited by it is a team like the Pacers that's had such a fun start to the year that maybe doesn't have a realistic shot to make a deep run into the playoffs just yet, but this could be their thing. Um, I guess the Knicks might care too. I don't know how delusional they are about their playoff chances or not, though. Yeah, um... I'm happy because you, you did get a nice little mix, right? It's not just, like, only the top teams have gone through. Like, you do have some, like, Cinderella stories. I think mm-hmm. that's part of, like, every championship kind of this kind of tournament run is you do need a little bit of that element. Um, you know, I, I to me, it was watch, it was great because, uh, obviously, after doing Raptors uh, Nets coverage and then doing the reaction podcast, unfortunately, I had missed some of the elements of uh, Heat versus, you know, Bucks, which was a really exciting one. But I did get to see uh, Sacramento ultimately pull off a 24-point comeback against the Warriors. And we do have Mark Stein back on the line. Mark, we appreciate you. Uh, we're just talking about there was, a, there was a game last night, and of course you were very busy chasing down this Maverick story, um, where the Kings came back and finally beat the Warriors. Obviously that's a big thing because uh, the Kings lost to the Warriors last year in the playoffs. Um, but... I don't know. Watching the Warriors, there's just so shaky to me. There's a lot of, like, indecisive moments. And then I thought about, well, what's Clay's future in all of this? And, Mark, now that we have you back on the line, do do you have anything there in terms of just, like, what is Clay's specific future in Golden State? Because you would hate to see them break up. But, I mean, I don't know. If if Mark Cuban can move off some shares of the Mavericks, uh, maybe other players can also change teams. I mean, that's a good point. I mean, I, you know, the, the fact that Mark Cuban would be willing to relinquish majority control of the team, that definitely is a anything is possible kind of thing. But I'm still not there when it comes to Clay Thompson not being a warrior. I just cannot picture it. You know, I don't spend the amount of time around that team that I used to. Mm-hmm. But, you know, the first three years of their dynasty run, I, I mean, I lived with that team. When I was still at ESPN working, you know, I was I was basically Sports Center's embedded correspondent with the Warriors, and just watched that team grow up, and you know, covered the subsequent championships, and just you know, you know, Draymond was always the guy that other teams around the league, not the war, you wouldn't hear this within the Warriors, but other teams around the league, I think there was a thought from other teams, you know, Draymond might he might want to see what it's like to go be a Laker or, you know, people would throw out Dallas. Mm. People would say, oh, he wants to go back to Michigan and, and be a Pistons. But that was from the outside. Draymond himself would always say, I'm, this is the group I'm, you know, I want to ride out with the guys I rode in with. And look, I, I can't sit here and tell you that I know how they're going to resolve a contract stalemate because obviously they, you know, they're not close on a contract extension. But I just like, are the Warriors going to trade Clay Thompson? I, I can't see it. I, I just yeah, it would be. Tough. It's he, 
they they won four championships in eight, nine years. Like, it just doesn't happen every day, and that does create a different situation. It's easy to sit there and say, just break it up, but, you know, it's that you don't. that's not how it works in real life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, it would be such a shame because I, I do wonder if, if this is still holding over the Warriors in terms of this extension and whether they get that done or not, and who knows, they can go into free agency, they can also do that as well, but... Um, you know, does this hold up the Warriors from potentially making other moves? Because, again, it's, it's, a, it's a big, big factor here. And I think the Warriors do need other moves if they're going to be not just, like, competitive, but, like, if they really want to win championships, which obviously this is what this whole group is all about. I also just think that, I mean, the way they're playing right now, they're not, like, a one-move-away team anyway. So, they, so okay. right. obviously, Fair. the Clay situation is a, is a significant question. But I don't think it's like I think it's it's broader than that. Yeah, it's a tough one. It, it, like the idea of Clay time. leaving is like, well, remember, like, can you even picture Tony Parker in a Charlotte uniform? It happened. Oh, it was, was the weird. one year was someone of the weird. Parker Ginobili Duncan trio played somewhere else. Yes. It happened. I don't have any memory of it. I don't care to remember it. Yeah. But it's uh, it's a weird one. I guess at least Clay is uh, is playing a little bit better of late. Uh, Mark, before we let you go here, how how much of this? Obviously, it's a matter of what is the right number for Clay, but how much of this kind of caution with the next Clay deal is baked into the new CBA and what we're going to see happen to teams like the Warriors who are so far extended into the tax? Yeah, and I mean, look, this new CBA, the Warriors and the Clippers and the Nets, they were all at the top of that, you know, or at least the way the Nets were previously constructed. I mean, that. Like, you got to get your two stars right in this new CBA, and every financial decision is tough. So there's no question that that's a factor here. But I don't know. You know, maybe, maybe I mean, you bring up the Tony Parker example, which is a great one. And, you know, Tony Parker would, would probably say, listen, Michael Jordan was my basketball hero. <laughs> he was Charlotte's owner at that time. Okay. That's why Parker, you know, that was a big reason why Parker – was willing to go to the Hornets for a year. But, you know, I've never asked him. I'd love to ask Tony if I get the chance. Like, are you glad you did that? Or would you, do you wish you would have just never left the Spurs? So mm. it's just when, you, when you've achieved so much as a team, it's, it's not common. I mean, I mean, I think even there, I mean, you guys tell me, but, I mean, even after only one championship, look at my impression from afar that every – Raptor who was a part of that championship team when it comes time to like are they going to stay or go like look how wrenching that is and that was oh, yeah. one championship not yeah. you know not four and nine years or five and twenty years yeah, yeah. I mean it, it was it was definitely gut wrenching obviously Kawhi leaving was you know something that you kind of in the back of my mind you, you knew but you had hoped in your heart that he would stay and obviously he didn't ultimately decide to stay but even something like Kyle Lowry moving on, like that was the way that that season went on. And obviously it was cut short. Raptors had to relocate to Tampa and, and he kind of said his goodbyes from there, which would made it even more difficult. But it was like, you know, the organization and they treat players in a different way when you go through those moments. Like Raptors gave Kyle the ultimate way to walk off, which is like, you know what? If we're not just going to trade you because you're an expiring contract to any place that you don't want to go, we're going to make sure we work together on this. So that, yes, you can get to the place you want to get to. Yes, we can maybe take care of what we need to get back. 
but ultimately you're too important to our franchise to just walk off willy-nilly and like not to say that all players aren't equal but you know depending on the circumstances of what you achieve in that franchise like yeah and, it, it and really that's isn't. a guy who came to toronto we're talking about three homegrown guys in yeah, golden exactly. state there are only 51 guys in the history of the nba to spend their whole career with one team and last more than 10 years and yeah. three of them are on the warriors and i want that to be the case uh, going forward, but uh, Mark, you know, that's a good list. Can you send me the whole list? That's a good one. I will. I need that, I need that list. All right, watch. It's going to be in the next newsletter. Um, all right, Stein, we appreciate you. Okay, get, it will. hopefully you get better, man. So sorry that we lost connection. We will. I promise we will get back in the in-season tournament next time, and I will. Uh, I, I'm sure my thoughts will disappoint and dismay you. But <laughs> don't. I don't want. I don't want to be the buzzkill. If people like it, I want. I want them to like it. Yeah, sorry. What we need to do is have a team mm. qualify on away goals. I think away points should be the differential here. No, you're a big soccer fan. But well, I just, with, to me, without I, I don't know how all ties would be broken at this point if it wasn't point differential. Because yeah, you know this group stage is yeah. Don't get me started. Got you, got you. Well, well, don't worry. Next time we'll bring you on. We'll we'll ask enjoy, you. To- ignore, ignore the old man. Ignore the old man and enjoy the basketball. No, we're going to ask you the Steve Nash story next time. Okay, we're going to, yeah, we're going to let Mark go. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I, you know, I, I think, Blake, because the, the thing for me is just, like I was saying, like after watching the Raptors game last night, finishing coverage, it just kind of flowed perfectly into watching Warriors-Kings. And when I turned it on, the you know, the Warriors were just, like, flowing offensively. Everything was looking good. Fortunately, Chris Paul left the game due to injury. Who knows? I mean, He's older, so you never know when he's going to be available. They look good. They were up like 24 points. They were flowing. And then the Kings just started making this comeback. And every time I watch Raptors play and then I watch a different team play, I'm just like, I can't believe it's the same sport. There's no way you transition Raptors-Nets to then pivoting to watching Warriors-Kings and think it's the same sport because it's just guys flying down the court. It's it's spacing at every position. Sasha Venzenkov, you know, uh, EuroLeague MVP, the, the king of not – dribbling the ball and still being a very effective player. I mean, talk about a .5 offense. He'd be a .5 offense type of guy, you know, bombing away from three, making a huge comeback, finishing small, and, like, you know, ultimately the Kings got over the top and then they ran out of momentum a little bit, but they still came back and Malik Monk hit the game winner over the Warriors to qualify the Kings for the NCAA tournament. Like, yeah, that's – to me, I was just like, that 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 restored my faith in basketball. <laughs> I, I honestly, I think that I that's not, so much, man. yeah, I think that that's maybe not specific to the, uh, to the tournament here though. I think that's okay. just you watching a, a capable offense every, like once a week to remind you what it's, uh, what it's supposed to look like. Oh, I'm down so bad. It's, and it's not even <laughs> that the Raptors so offense has been so rough in the half court uh-huh. and yeah. the numbers certainly say it's been, it's continued to be rough. Um, it's that because they're a pretty good defense, they also gum yes. up the other team yes. side. So you're exactly. getting two sides of of iffy offense when you uh, when you sit down with the Raptors. Yeah. Um, I referenced this on the React pod yesterday, but, you know, Masai's quote at the end of the year last year was, I, I did, did not, not enjoy <laughs> watching this team play. Yeah, I need that on a quote graphic. Uh, I can definitely you get a lot of use out of it. But we're going to take a quick break. I've been your host, Willow. You've been listening to the Raptors show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. When we come back, we will talk more around the NBA with Alex Wong. The most opinionated Maple Leaf show out there. Real Kipper and Born. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to the Raptor Show on the Sports Radio Network. I'm your host, Wim Liu. Joining me for the fourth and final segment are my two co-hosts, Blake Murphy, Alex Wong. Uh, Alex, uh, we are going to go around the NBA, but I think first there's going to be another 
somehow another prehistoric event. Yeah, I just want to let the folks know I'll be at Invintage We Trust in Parkdale this Saturday from 3 to 6 p.m., uh, 1580 Queen Street West. Uh, the folks there, Josh and Chantel, doing an exclusive Vintage Raptors merch drop. They've got a cool set of uh, J-League, Japanese League soccer jerseys that will be available. So oh, hardcover copies of Prehistoric will be available there for purchase. Or if you want to bring your copy, you haven't been able to come to the other seven events to get signed, I'll be there from 3 to 6 p.m. Yeah, and, <laughs> and they're also doing an in-store raffle for a one-of-one 95-96 Raptors nesting doll set. What? So um, you have to come in-store and enter... A raffle, um, you know, okay. if you buy a book, you might get some extra raffle tickets. If you bring your book, you might get some extra raffle tickets. If you wear vintage Raptors gear to the store, you might get some extra raffle tickets. But I'll be there 3 to 6 p.m. in Vintage We Trust this Saturday. And just want everyone to know Prehistoric has gone to a second print. Paperback edition is available for pre-order on Amazon now. Scheduled to ship on December 12th. So, yeah, buy that for yourselves and for your Raptors friends and family for Christmas if you celebrate. That's it, man. Tap me back out. No, you're running point for Around the NBA. Oh, okay. No, I mean... Around the NBA, It'll be exciting. It really will be. What counts as vintage Raptor gear? Because, you know, a man like me, my oldest Raptor gear is a fake DeMar DeRozan jersey that a friend bought me. First of all, you're not showing up to a vintage store of that ilk in a fake jersey okay why why not josh legit messaged me this morning and was like hey what is uh who is is will who is will yes he said who is will's favorite liverpool player yeah and i was like i think it's uh steven gerrard yeah because he's gonna not play the (laughs) clip Some, if you're Everton supporter, that's all you can support these days. Somehow yeah. it's the longest clip, and it's so enjoyable to see your pain. I knew it was coming every too, time. Man, damn it. Anyways, he's yeah. gonna pull right. out some exclusive Liverpool stuff for you. Got you. Um, on Saturday, but yeah, all that's right. it, man. Around the NBA, what are we talking about, boys? Yeah. Well, um, what do we have around the NBA? So no, obviously, uh, no all right, I got, I got a couple small updates off the top here. Okay, before go we go get into some go NBA ahead. topics. Let's so we it. we read out the in season tournament matchups a little earlier. If you missed it, it's Knicks at Bucks, Celtics at Pacers, Suns at Lakers. Pelicans at Kings. And some of you have been asking, well, what the heck happens with the Raptors? There's a 10-day gap in the schedule between Knicks Mm -hmm. games. We now know what those games will be. Uh, The Raptors are going to host Miami on Wednesday. So not the best of breaks. So you got a pretty tough opponent Uh, as far as non-qualifying teams go. But on Friday, you go and visit the Charlotte Hornets without LaMelo Ball. Uh, And I have chosen to lead the segment with this piece of news. Uh, One, because people were asking about it. Mm -hmm. But... Two, because the reports yesterday were that LaMelo Ball is going to miss a pretty significant amount of time with a bad ankle sprain. And I wanted to ask you guys, we just had a lot of fun joking about the 3-14 and 14 Wizards beating the 2-15 and 15 Detroit Pistons. The Charlotte Hornets are 5-11 and 11 with a worse score margin differential than either of those teams. And they just lost the only capable basketball player on that team. My question for you guys, are the Hornets now as bad as the Pistons and Wizards now that LaMelo Ball's out? This is difficult because you remember at the end of last season when the Raptors went to Charlotte and played like back-to-back games there, or maybe it was a home-and-home, maybe one was I have, uh, I have men in black to that from well, the memory. You guys don't remember uh, Fred's 2020 game? <laughs> 2020 vision against Bryce McGowan. did a podcast with CJ Miles and Amit in between the two games in Charlotte? That was 
that was what happened last year. You're yeah. right. <laughs> yeah. The Raptors show last year it might have been dark. Wow, am I the only year. one locked in on the Raptors? No, Holy. That, that, I mean, it's hard to say anyone's worse than the Pistons. I think the stats are out there now, but for the last half season, essentially, they're like 4 and 40. Yeah, I mentioned when, when the Raptors had beat them and, and given them an 11-game losing streak. That yeah. was their third 11-game losing streak of the calendar year. <laughs> that's yeah, that, that's insane. And the, the, I think and the Detroit Lions have more wins. Like, in Amazing this stat, year. especially given yeah. how like the Lions Yo, have yeah. a long history of being awful, and now uh-huh. they're winning more yeah. games than... Hat tip, hat tip Joseph Kachar on that, I think. Wow. Yeah. Um, Tigers so, yeah. are on the rise too. Tigers are on the rise. They're gonna be the. Uh, they're gonna be maybe not the magic this year, but the AL Central so bad. No, yeah. the Tigers are gonna a, be the. There's I'm, a magic of the MLB. I'm still. I'm still going with the Pistons. The Pistons as, are clearly worse to me. Really, I was gonna yeah. say they're more promising. I mean, they still have Kay Cunningham. I know people are down on Kay Cunningham. They're gonna sort out this glut of like guys that aren't working out for them. I think they just need to figure out what are the two, three guys that they're rolling with. Um, Asar Thompson has been really impressive, like, mm-hmm. you know, off the top. So if you take him, you take Cade, maybe you still believe in uh, Jaden Ivey. Um, that's cool. three guys right there. Maybe maybe you build around. Like, there's still a core there. Like, I know they're terrible yeah. right now. But if you're looking well, at the Hornets. pretty encouraging. Yeah. So He's if you very look, young. And then if you look at the Hornets roster, which three are you rolling with if LaMelo Ball is not there? Brandon Miller? Brandon Miller, for sure. Okay. But can you get to three? Uh, I feel like their average players are better. Like, they have a lot of wings that can kind of do some things. Whereas, yeah. I think Detroit is just stuck in, like, having five centers. Now, you know what this is? Is <laughs> over the years, the Hornets have been bad enough that Will Lou has looked at the Hornets roster of, like, hey, who could the Raptors pluck a, a capable wing who can knock down a three from? Well, we did last and year with Jalen McDaniels. Jalen McDaniels, Malik Monk before uh, that. I'm sure you've talked yourself into P.J. Washington at one point. Not exactly sure, a wing, yeah. more of, like, a forward. Yeah. Um, right. Mark Williams has, like, some, like, very low-key, like, oh, I could have drafted him if you hadn't have done, yeah, I know everyone does the Walker Kessler of it, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. hey, Mark Williams, I guess he went 15th that year, but you could have eh, theoretically moved yeah. up to, to get him. He's a guy that, you know, he looks capable there, but like this is a team that is going to be led offensively by Terry Rozier if he's even healthy. Oh my God, scary hours. Yeah, yeah. Scarence Terrence. Scarence Terrence. <laughs> I'm taking the Pistons over the Hornets, guys. Nah, I, don't I don't know, man. Uh, Lamelo's also making this jump right now, which has been really. Shouts really to uh, fun, I'm pulling up the hurt, pulling but. up the Hornets um, Raptors uh, box score from that two home games last oh, year. Oh, can I? Can we? Can we do a? Can we do a? Can quiz? you name me the seven rotation players? Can you name me the five starters? Oh my god! Okay. In that first game, I'll, I'll I'll kick it off. Absolutely not. I'll kick it off with Theo Melodone, which is nice, I nice. believe wow. what, was, what was prescribed to me earlier this year <laughs> from my doctor. Yeah, that's a that's a SSRI <laughs> and a two way guard. Yeah. Can you guys name the other okay. four? JT Thor. Oh yeah, we got a Thor. Yeah, yeah uh, we got a Thor. No, for sure, Svi was on the Hornets Svee at that point. Svi dropped twenty six points. <laughs> Yo, in he this was the go to scorer. I'm not even kidding. Ten of seventeen, yeah, yeah. five of nine from three, and now we need. You already named one of these other Bryce guys. Bryce McGowan's. Yes, Mark Williams. Yes, and Mark oh, Williams. Okay, so, so we, there we go. Okay. Kai Jones? Wow, look at the continuity on this roster. <laughs> Wait, who came off the bench? Uh, James Booknight. Oh, Booknight. Kai right. Jones currently Kai Jones, not yeah. in the NBA. Um, um, Kobe Simmons, I think, because he's he with the 905 now. So I'm very, <laughs> played, he, I am very he, familiar he with Kobe Simmons. He played a minute, a minute and 38 Yo, seconds. Amazing. That might have been his last what, NBA game. What you know about Xavier Sneed? Yeah. Okay, Ooh, right, 15 minutes there. Well, too, well, 15. He played 15, 15 minutes. minutes. Yeah. 
All right. Uh, anyways. Nah, that Xavier Sneed is like a Lord of the Rings bad guy or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. They got a Thor. You got Deagle. They got a Sneed. I got to look up now if that yeah. was Kobe Did Simmons' you? last game. That that was the game the 905 saw and said, got to have him. Oh, Kobe God. Simmons is such uh, a good NBA name. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Um, it was not, he played yeah. two more games after that. Yeah. He played both the Raptors games and then one game against Houston. Kobe Simmons, well, I'm going to call Ben Simmons when he scores 20 points one time. The first time he hits a jump shot. <laughs> oh, no, God. Uh, Did you guys already talk Warriors Kings with Stein? Very we, briefly. We talked some Warriors Kings. Yeah, but, can but we, can, can we Kings? get in, I, into I, it a little bit more here? I saw you tweeting a lot about Sasha Vizankov. So let, let, give, me, give me your thoughts on Sasha. That, that's my new uh, Furkan Korkmaz. Um, okay. Vizankov, man. And, and up against my version of it, uh, yeah. Podzemski. Oh, yeah, Pods? Yeah. Chelsea Pods. No, uh, Vizankov there in that fourth quarter run. You know, he was he was a gamer, man. And I wasn't familiar with his game. I actually went on his Wikipedia, realized he was like a EuroLeague MVP. Yep. The credentials are like incredible. Yeah, it was there supposed to be really a big game, game yeah. when he came yeah. over. And and I, I always, I think maybe you guys do this too when I'm watching other teams try to project it back to the Raptors. Uh-huh. And I'm like, oh my God, look at this Kings team and the firepower and the guys they're able to bring off the bench. Mm-hmm. Like... And look at the way that they're playing, like just the togetherness of it and just the entertainment value of it. Oh, it's like, just fun to watch. When exactly. is the last yeah. time the Raptors have brought us like that level of fun and entertainment? Like, I mean, their fun factor comes when they dig 20-point holes against bad teams <laughs> and then not, come back. That's not Th- fun. Those have been the most fun games this of the Raptors is, season. This is what you guys have said. It's raising rent. To find yeah. out what your hustle is all about. And that's not fun. That's actually yeah. all of Toronto. So that, <laughs> yeah. in that case, the Raptors really do. Again, I saw like owner, a headline right here. Chill, I saw chill, the head, chill, a headline chill, chill. the other day that like rent rates were down in Toronto. <laughs> I, I moron. I clicked it. It's like, yeah, they're down like $5 a month on average after like a five-year stretch where they increased by like a thousand bucks. Homeowner over here. Um, yeah. So maybe Toronto's just overrated in general. I mean, on the so, warrior, on the warrior side, yeah. like they're under uh-huh. 500 now. Yeah, they dropped two. They've dropped seven of nine or eight of yeah. ten now. And I don't know. Like they're just a team that looks to me like they're at the tail end. They look desperate of man. this era. They look desperate. Yeah, like, that's the thing. Draymond is like always doing something with the referee to but the point where it's like every game you expect him to get it. He basically begged for that tech last. But night. it's yeah. not. It's not working anymore. I saw Trey Lyles draw at least six foul shots off him last <laughs> night in the fourth quarter. Yeah. If Trey Lyles is out gaming you. In a game like this, yeah. like I don't know, and, maybe your time has passed. And here's what that tells you: you Team USA, you don't bring Draymond to the to the Olympics. Trey Lyles is ready to rack up <laughs> yeah. those free throws for Team Canada. That's right. Yo, honestly, hey, big, yeah. big win by Jordy Fernandez last night too with the Kings. <laughs> yeah, and 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 I mean, yeah. guys like Clay Thompson, we we know what prime Clay, Clay Thompson yeah. looks yeah. like. He's pressing, bro. Now, like yeah. he at least we has, saw he has twenty in plus in 2019 against the Raptors. Yeah. that was terrifying. And like yeah. Clay has yeah. twenty plus in three of the last four games now so it's like mm. the best four game stretch he's had but even last night like I remember so I didn't check into this game until the second half because the Raptors were on yeah. and I look at the box score at halftime and Wiggins and Clay have combined for 35 points on like 19 field goal attempts mm-hmm. I'm like holy cow this yeah, is the first good. good Wiggins game the first good Clay game they've gotten they got them at the same time the Kings are toast mm-hmm. and like I started like kind of like half jokingly be like, oh, leads down to two when they were up 14 because they had to win by 12 to make it on in the in-season tournament. Which made it really fun. And then the Kings yeah. were just like, no, no, we're going to come back that amount and then just yeah. run you off the floor. And Clay got, I think Clay scored one point or two points in the second half. Yeah. And Wiggins, I mean, Wiggins finished with 29. So he saw an okay game. But like the fact that I was like excited that Clay and Wiggins had contributed mm-hmm. in the same night 
and then they still didn't win yeah. is like a bad sign about. And I know they didn't have Chris Ball for most of this game because he got hurt in the first quarter. But um, it's so still. funny every time I see Chris Ball in the Warriors, though. Still, well, they were panning to yeah. him in the back. Like, he was still giving instructions to them, like at the end of the third quarter. I, I think the in-season tournament aspect of it is in- interesting because I actually I think I heard Candace Parker talk about this post-game because you know with two minutes left, the Warriors were still up by like four or five points. And, like, you could see, like, Steph was actively, like, hunting threes yeah. to, I think, beat that, um, I think to, to get to 11 points, right? They need 11 to win plus. by 12. Yeah, they need to win by 12. Yes. And she advance. was like, oh, that might have hurt them because right. they you were lose, hunting those threes. You lose the game. There was, um, Samson and I were talking about this yesterday. There was a, an instance in soccer not that long ago. I think it was the, the Barbados team scored on their own net. Because they needed to force overtime because overtime, mm. like they needed differential that they could only get by going to an extra frame. Right. Mm-hmm. Do you get what I'm saying? Like yeah. you're up one, you need to win by two. Yeah. So they got to go so to you, OT to get get that deficit. Kick it in your own yeah. net to yeah, force yeah, yeah. overtime. In this case, the Warriors are shooting early in the clock. Yep. You know, doing things they other they're not eating 20 seconds of clock and taking a safe shot. Mm-hmm. They're actually trying to add points to this, and then the Kings are like. All right. Well, yeah. We'll just run with and, this and, and win the actual basketball game. But there's an actual game to win, though. That's this the, is yeah. the, and yeah. this is I think this is part of what the league wants long term is to introduce these type of difficult decisions where like, you know, even right. if like say you're on a back to back, right? Like say last night had mattered for the Raptors and they this is a bad example because the Raptors aren't the type of team to rest someone on a back to back right now. But say it had mattered, right? Mm-hmm. And you're looking ahead and tonight is the Suns. The Suns are a much more difficult game than the Nets. Mm. So you'd want all your guys available for the Suns. It's a tougher game. you got to win. But last night counts for the in-season tournament. Mm. And you maybe have a berth in the in-season tournament on the line. I think that's what the league wants long-term. Is yeah. like teams to have to make those decisions and prioritize the in-season tournament. And yes, that implicitly says like, oh, that regular season game the next day isn't as important. But I think they'll take that if it means people like Steph are shooting for an in-season tournament berth down to the wire up eight or nine points. This is why we need Granger's idea of separating the two. Yeah. Like, just play the tournament and then play the season. Or play the season, yeah. take a break, but play the tournament, and then uh, play the season again. I kind of like these, like, kind of, like, side effects that are, I think that are coming out of I likes the side effects. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I think the side effects are cool. And it got me thinking, too, like, obviously the last two rounds, the semifinals and the finals, is going to be in Vegas. Yeah. I actually think they got to think about, like, I know there's probably benefits to doing it at a neutral site, mm. but man, imagine like a final in-season tournament finals game in Sacramento. Like you can't duplicate that. Oh, in light, a Vegas lighting the beam and money shoots out yeah. of it for all the players. the neutral site, the crowd's not going to be as engaged like this, man. No, well, it's, it's interesting. Well, hopefully right? you get traveling fans. But, yeah. but it not won't be the same as like being in that team's home arena. Yeah. Though, like yeah. you can get like... There are a lot of summer league games that have good crowds, yeah. but it's more of like cheering on the individual player yeah. or like a close game sure, or whatever. Yeah. But like, I, w- I do wonder if like Vegas is just the right spot for that. Like the UFC runs all their biggest events out of Vegas and like there aren't that many fighters from Vegas, but the crowds are still crazy, right? If yeah. you give them a good fight and and a good story mm-hmm. and things like that, I think that's probably what the league's hoping for. But yeah, I'm curious, like, is it a sellout? Yeah. Is you know, is, What's is the there, crowd going to be? Is it going to be like a Super Bowl type? You know what I mean? It's yeah, like they're where just it's there. Like some traveling yeah. fans from each team, and then some people are just like, no, I'm going to the Super Bowl. I don't yeah. care who's in it. But shout a friend of the program, Adam Silver, man. You really cooked with this one because, like, oh, I, I'm so excited. Like, you look at a matchup like Celtics Pacers. Yep. Like, that's a marquee matchup because, like, and a potential first round playoff matchup. Yeah. I want the I want the Celtics to flop again in another tournament. Um, And, and I want to see, like, if a team like the Pacers, even the Knicks, can, like, make a run, right? Yeah. It's going to be so fun, man. 
I'm just I'm still workshopping the in the first in season tournament game. I, I tried to tweet like there are 82 game players and there are four game in season <laughs> tournament four players. Game in season. But it's like now it's like a four game in season tournament regular season and a three game in season tournament playoffs. Yeah, uh, it's gonna get clunky. Um, did you guys talk about uh, Joe Mazzulla with the Hacker Drummond? No, last we, night. No, we yeah, didn't. So, we talked about the Raptors going hack yeah. a clack a little bit with with Nick Claxton, <laughs> but <laughs> let's make it a goal for the next is eight that, minutes not to you, talk about the Raptors. Is that when you try to beat well, a we disease gotta do between the lines? Right? Oh, that, that's, no, between that's the lines can do it. We can do it three fifty. We got a little bit of that's time. That's clap, not clap. Okay, so let's get to this one topic, and we'll yeah. do it between the lines. Like, d- does anybody care about the in season tournament more than Joe Mazzula, guys? Because this man is locked in. He he hacked Drummond last night. I think they were up like twenty plus points, yeah. but there was like a point differential thing going on, yeah. and then Billy Donovan walked to center court. Because he was upset and Missoula had to explain it to him. Uh-huh. Um, are 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 we taking Joe Missoula's side on this in terms of how serious he was taking the in season tournament? No, listen, I, I think that's what the rule is going to be, right? In this instance, I think he needed to win by like a landslide. Mm-hmm. And so even if, though it was already a landslide, they need mm-hmm. to make sure. Um, I do think that Joe Missoula just doesn't really seem like he cares that much about the gamesmanship. <laughs> he's got a little like Daryl Morey in him where it's just, yeah, he's it's just all just about like, the final results. I'm going to do whatever. And yeah. it doesn't matter about your feelings. Yeah. You know? So. Damar just the, the victim. You literally asked me this yesterday. Yeah. Yeah. You're like, who, who might, who might like get upset? Oh yeah. I wanted to ask you this yeah. too, of all the teams. And this was to set up last night, but Let's play it back. Like, what team do you think would be the biggest babies about something like that, getting the score run up on them for point differential purposes? Uh, I feel like the Warriors would be definitely one of them. Yeah. I could definitely see Draymond going on the Maybe trade, Sixers, trade Sixers, Embiid and Nick Nurse taking a little issue. <laughs> the Warriors complaining yesterday, hey, yeah. you had already got under an 11-point margin. You didn't have to run up the score and win the game, too. <laughs> That's unfair. You were already going to the in-season tournament. Maybe, don't maybe win LeBron. I don't know. Maybe LeBron and the Lakers, yeah. if they get the score run up on. So I, I mean, this, they just lost by 44. This is so. another fascinating thing I find, though, in this in-season tournament. So now that, like, LeBron, obviously, you know, he's a good enough steward of the game that he said like yeah the money matters like 500k is 500k we'll care about it we're competitors and stuff like that but now that he's here given what we know about lebron like changing his tune quickly and stuff and caring about his legacy like if the lakers win the very first in-season tournament mm-hmm. and lebron wins it at this oh, age you know they're playing this well legacy, they are go- lebron is going to frame this as like it is the most important thing you could do in basketball. It is the, the winning the very first in-season tournament is the most historic thing you could possibly well, do. So, so he can get Spotify premium and actually look at his Spotify wrapped. Yeah. <laughs> no, LeBron, not people look at his wrapped is tough, man. <laughs> By the way, thanks everyone for sending in the Raptor show as their top wrapped. Yeah, thank of, you to of, thank of you to all these reg- regular civilians out yeah. there. For no, seriously, thanks, thanks to all the people who only tagged you guys and not me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's tough. That's tough. That's tough. It's okay, uh, man. Jay's yeah. plus. Uh, yeah, but that right. one shares a feed with with Jay's talk post game, so I'm still sharing. I'm sharing ats with Blair and Barker no, on they, that one they too. They tagging Show Ali on yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. Thanks, all right. Is there Ali. a game tonight, boys? What's going on, man? There is. Right, uh, so it. it is time now for Between the Lines, brought to you by Bet Rivers. Take a chance. The Raptors are hosting the Phoenix Suns. They are three point underdogs. Will the over under is set at two twenty six point five? Some background here: the Suns have won seven in a row. They have had two days off, maybe suffering from that Toronto flu. They've been in Toronto a little bit now. Uh, Kevin Durant ran into my friend Paul at the Four Seasons yesterday, so they've been 
you know, getting their feet under them in uh, in Toronto here. Wait, I need more details yeah. on your friend They're just Paul. apparently staying <laughs> at the Four Seasons. My friend Paul texted me. He's like, is there an NBA team in town? What hotel do they stay at? And I was uh, like, well, usually this one, I, I don't want to give it away on air, but like usually yeah, sure, this one, sure, sure, but sure, sometimes yeah. this one or that one. Yeah, he's yeah. like, oh, I, I, I don't know who it was, but I think there are NBA players here. I was like, was it Kevin Durant? And he was like, yeah, it was. I thought it was him, but I didn't think he played for the Suns. So this is obviously not oh a basketball God. fan friend. Oh, brother. But, uh, right. yeah, Paul's, like, getting a massage next to Kevin Durant at the Four Seasons. Yo. No, um, they show on feet. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah probably. Um, so Suns <laughs> yeah, have won seven in a row. They've had a little bit of time to chill yeah. here. Kevin Durant, though, with a foot thing. Is questionable. He's questionable for tonight. He's Grace, feet, Grayson Allen also questionable with uh, an illness, probably from looking at KD's injured feet. Um, uh, Bradley Beal still out. Damian Lee, Nasir Little uh-huh. uh, also remain out. The Raptors have it clear, other than Christian Coloco uh-huh. and the two ways. Grady Dick back with the Raptors. KD uh, might not tonight. play tonight. KD's questionable. There was what am I as doing of there? the three thirty update. There's still uh, he's still questionable. Go say hi to Utah, and that's it. Okay. Uh, yeah, I mean, look, the Suns are on a roll. Um, the Raptors are pretty disappointing not. recently. The Raptors are not. The Raptors <laughs> don't have, sugarcoat it, my the brother. The Raptors have at least kept a close down the stretch. Oh, lowered guys. expectations, eh, yeah, my brother? Yeah, okay. Yeah. We've, we've kept a close down the stretch, okay. so I understand the line here. They're still in it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I believe the Suns got into the town yesterday. Um, and I, I don't know. It, it's. It's difficult. Even their game against the the Knicks it had to come down to a Devin Booker wild buzzer beater, where he insisted that that was a good shot. I mean, it was just a it was just a sick shot. The more difficult the shot is, I think, is actually adding to the impressive uh, nature of it. Uh, look, OG has done a good job guarding um, Devin Booker in the past, and hopefully that continues. Of course, that was going to require a lot of help. Uh, but you know, if Kevin Durant is not available, this is definitely one where I would wait to see what his status mm-hmm. is before making a decision on something like this. Um, if he's available, obviously I would take the Suns. I, the Raptors have not had an answer for KD pretty ever. much ever. Yeah, go back yeah. to the double overtime logo winner over Amir Johnson way oh, back God. in the day. John Salmons, we have still yeah. not forgiven you for that one. Um, talking fish. <laughs> we are. We are. By, by the way, for fish, for context, so KD has missed two games in a row, and Bradley Beal's obviously out. Yeah. Um, they destroyed the Grizzlies a couple days ago, yeah, I mean, and then Who last hasn't? game they also didn't have Grayson Allen, and they narrowly beat the Knicks on the road. So yeah. this is a team that's hung in pretty well, even without yeah. KD. Yeah, um, they got a lot of three point shooters. Eric Gordon is shooting them from. 40 feet out, it feels like now. He, Eric Warren's just like, I'm too old for this, man. I'm gonna, not driving this we're ball. We're going to call him Smiley. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. He, he over the top with uh, the way he's shooting those top okay. threes. But, yeah, I mean, ultimately, I would wait until see if KD's available. If he's not available, I'd actually favor the Raptors. But he hmm, is shooting, hard to pick the Raptors right now. You know? he is, KD is shooting 52 on Trey Ball. So he, so, <laughs> it's about to be OD uh, today. Yeah, you got to uh, – yeah, it's all the way down to 52.2% now from 54 earlier. Sorry, yeah. Chet. Well <laughs> – that's that's our advice. So All that, right, that, that was between the lines. Brought to you by Bet Rivers. Take a chance. Uh, yeah, I really hope Kevin Durant plays. I uh, hope as, so too. As, as a much fan. as we don't want, I don't want to talk about a Toronto Raptors loss again tomorrow. Like there are only so many KD games left that we're gonna get. Right? Like yeah, he's into sure, his sure. Uh, he's and, into his mid to late thirties now. Now he's in the West. We yeah. only get to see him here once a year. Yeah, he hasn't mm-hmm. lost in Toronto in five years. Uh, I guess winning the championship was in Oakland, which was a great memory. Man, remember that team we had, 2019? Also, yeah. like, Doing that he only again? played in Basketball one of those IQ games. On and Oof. Well, that, that one game was, was difficult. But I contend that the Raptors were still close in that game, even with KD available. Yeah. But uh, anyway, that's ancient history. Can't always talk about having Kyle, you know, Danny, Kawhi, uh, Pascal, Mark, Serge. Jeremy Lin. Norm. 
Sure, Jeremy Lin as well. Jody Meeks. Fred. Eric Moreland. Yeah. What a, what a time that was, but uh, we have no more time today. Jeremy so. Castleberry. That does it for us today. I've been your host, Will Lou. You've been listening to The Raptor Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Thanks once again to Clement Chu, Dennis Chang, Mark Stein, producer and co-host Alex Wong, Blake Murphy, board producer Derek Brandale, Frank Braska, David Sis, Jeremy Anatide. We'll talk to you tomorrow.